Welcome to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. In our sermon series, Tell Me the Truth, we're asking big questions and turning to God's Word for big answers. Today's speaker is Senior Minister Didi Bacon. So we're in week three of our series entitled Tell Me the Truth, and I want to thank everyone who took the time to respond and ask questions. We reviewed all those questions, we kind of categorized, and we decided to address the main themes that we had. We couldn't answer every question, although we'll do our best through our online TAD talks. I don't know if you've seen those on our Facebook account. You can get them on our website as well as our Vimeo account where Aaron and Tim Peace and I kind of will discuss questions that have been raised on on a video format. Uh, TAD, Tim, Aaron, and then the two Ds, DD. Got it? Anyway, um, so I want to thank everyone for for the questions. Uh, Aaron talked about the question of how to study the Bible. Tim talked about the struggling of prayer and how does prayer work in the life of a believer and faith. And now I get to deal with the probably the number one question, question that has been asked in various ways and various forms, but still deals with the same issue. It's a question that, quite frankly, is quite tricky. A question that gets me a little nervous about addressing, makes me think about the time in which I decided to burn out a ground bee's nest in our front yard. Um, Shannon, early in the day, had been working out in the, in the, in the front gar- flower bed, and she had been attacked by these ground bees, these little black guys, that all just, and she was traumatized by it, and of course, I got all like manly, manly uh, to deal with that. And so I set up an operation, a extermination operation that night to take care of the problem. And in fact, I called the bees Osama Bee Lin because I was going to be Alpha uh, SEAL team to destroy him and all that. Anyway, um, and so the plan was to look for the hole which I found where these little ground bees were coming out of. And then I was going to pour gasoline down there and I was going to drop a match. Boom. Which I did. I went there, poured the gasoline, dropped the match, and I'm standing there watching fire coming out, bees flying dead and all that coming out, and it was quite a fun. And then I looked down and I noticed that the gas can was on fire. Yeah. Stupid thing was, was leaking gas and somehow caught fire. And then I'm like, oh, no. And I realized the gas can's on fire and it's near the house and I can't have the gas can explode because that's what happens, right? You watch every movie, gas cans always explode. And so I didn't want it to explode near the house and catch the house on fire, the front porch on fire, and just be a mess. So I did what every red-blooded male does. Uh, you ever seen those videos that say, this is why women live longer than men? No. Um, <laughs> Well, I would have been one of those videos. I saw this flaming gas can. I said, I got to get away from the house. So I did my best soccer move and I kicked the can, boom, away from the house. In fact, I kicked it like three times, boom, 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 into the backyard. And it was just a beautiful ball of fire spinning. And it was spraying gas everywhere. And the bush is on fire. The grass is on fire. Things are on fire. My kids were watching TV, and they look back, and they see this gas can burning down the the backyard. And, of course, they're just like, oh, it's just Dad. It's okay. Um, So there's fire everywhere. And uh, I run. I grab a water hose because the bush is on fire. In fact, 
a friend of mine was there, a guy friend, Don, he was standing there, and he, he's doing what guys normally do. He's just watching the show. And then he's like, uh, the bush is on fire. I'm like, dude, can't you help me out? Anyway, so I grab water, the hose, put out the fires all over the place, and uh, all was well, and the bees were destroyed. At least that made it worth my while. Um, the bees were destroyed. It's a dangerous proposition to play with gas, fire, and ground bees, <laughs> right? You got to be careful. And that's how I feel about approaching the question for today in our pursuit of tell me the truth. The question for today, what does the Bible tell us about sex? What does the Bible tell us about sex? Now, why is this a potentially volatile issue? Well, because it's a personal issue. It's an emotional issue. It's a hard issue. It's an issue that gets tangled up with our deepest relationships of love. It's an issue that goes deep to who we are, to our identity. It's an issue that goes deep to life experiences that involve abuse and disappointments and failures. It's an issue that we might have some strong convictions about because it taps into that place of where we feel like this is who we are. But it's an issue that you've asked about, and it's an issue that we need to address. And so because of that, I'm going to ask, first of all, we all take a deep breath. And then in the course of this conversation, I ask that you would have an open mind, an open heart, as we go through step-by-step step principles from Scripture that I think sets us in the right place when it comes to answering the question, what does the Bible say about sex? And if you start feeling yourself getting mad or offended or whatever, please deep breathing, think of a calm blue ocean, and open your heart and mind to just listen. And so what I'm going to do is we're going to start with some, some basic assumptions that are going to move us towards the specifics a little bit here. And the first thing we're going to start with, with is the subject of what we have been talking about right there in the beginning of our, our service time, based on what we've sung this morning, what we've celebrated in offering and communion. What we all can agree about is that the Bible, because it's good news, the Bible tells us that God wants what is best for us. Can we agree that the message of Christianity, the good news is, is that God wants what is best for us? That's what love means, right? God loves us means that He has done something to demonstrate His love for us, and that great something has sent His Son into the world to die for us, to be raised to life for us, to make a way in which we can know God and God can know us, we can be made right with Him and live in the blessings that He provides by being His children. God wants what is best for us. We just sung, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down, fights until I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, you gave yourself away. I mean, when we say those words, what we're saying is God loves us, and ultimately that love is demonstrated in the fact that God will do what is best for us, even if it means sacrifice to himself, sacrifice to the point of giving up life. We just celebrated that God treats us better than we deserve in communion and offering. We talked about grace. 
Bible reveals that we have a God who is a good, good father. He's a God who wants what's best for us. And even though we might not understand grace and his love, and even though we understand how that works, and even though we might have to a point where we have to wrestle with some of the things that God's word tells us about living, can we agree that the Bible's clear, we serve a God who wants what's best for us? Can we also take a moment before we get into the specifics, understand this, that the Bible was written in a time in which the people who were first recipients of the commands and the directives, particularly in the church here, were living in a culture that was inundated with sex as much as we are now. Can we agree that what's said in the Bible regarding sex was first communicated to people who were as immersed in a culture of sex as we are today? Now, we may be technologically advanced and we may be more knowledgeable in science and, and all the things that we're able to do, flying planes, driving cars, having computers on our hips and doing all sorts of amazing things. We might be so much far ahead and when it comes to our medicines, whether it be surgically or, or, or with, with drugs and chemicals and we may have weapons that are far beyond anything that the people at the time of the Bible would think of. We may be so advanced in so many ways but the truth is that when it comes to love, when it comes to relationships, and when it comes to sex, we're exactly where they were. And it's arrogant for us to assume that somehow, because of all the technological advances we live in, that somehow we're superior, and somehow we're, uh, we're not, the, what's taught in the Bible is not applicable to us, because that's not the truth. The truth is, is that human beings who first receive the words of Scripture that we are about to look at receive them in a very similar culture that we're living in when it comes to sex. Now, how do I know this? Well, I know this because ancient history and I've visited these towns from the first century and I've seen it with my own eyes. I was in the Holy Land at the beginning of the year. We did this whirlwind tour, seven days of the Holy Land. We visited a variety of places, all the, the high places, Bethlehem, Nazareth, Jerusalem, blah, blah, blah. One place we, we went to visit was this town called Sephoris. Sephoris is a town that was built by one of the Herods, kings of uh, the region of Galilee. And he built this town because he wanted a, a capital. He wanted a strategic location for his people to oversee a major east-west-north-south highway. This force is located on a ridge where you can see that intersection, east-west-north-south. Whenever people traveled, they would see Sephoris, and Sephoris could see them. And so this was a newly constructed time in the first century around there, and it was constructed, it was a Jewish town built in a Roman style. And I've been there, and I've been down the roads, and there's some amazing things there. You see the originals. You can walk down the main city street with the, 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 the stones there, and you can see the, the grooves that the, that the tracks were made by the carts and, and chariots. It's pretty, pretty cool. And you can look down, and you can see where, where kids etched in the tile and the rocks, etched in the board games that they were playing, kind of like tic-tac-toe and all sorts of games. So you think, here it is, a busy street in the city center, there's 
cars or carts going back and forth. There's kids on the street who are playing with their pals and their friends, and they're doing this. And you walk around, you go into the buildings, you look on the floors, there's these beautiful mosaics made of these beautiful little stones all put together. And as you look around, you notice, man, there's a lot of naked people in these pictures. And you come to discover on the walls... In the decorator of these houses, there's a lot of what we would just flat out call pornography. Even in the church, the synagogue, the Jewish church, there's images put up there, and it's mythological images, which is kind of strange for a synagogue, but even in there, and the mythological images are of naked people that we would call pornography. So think about that. Children playing in the streets, inundated with pictures of pornography. That's the culture that the church was born into. In fact, if you do a little research, you'll discover that Roman Empire culture, what they got into would make Las Vegas blush. And so the church is born into a culture dealing with the things that definitely we deal with and maybe not as open as we deal with because what was on the walls, we primarily keep on the other side of the wall on the inside, maybe on our video screens in our little phones. But they were dealing with the same stuff. And so the reason I'm saying this is because we have to understand that the words and instruction given to the church regarding relationships, love, and sex have as much application to us as they did to them because we're dealing with the same things. What is said in the Bible regarding sex was first communicated to people who were as immersed in the culture of sex as we are today. Can we agree that God made us to love and be loved with more than romantic sexual love. And this is another principle that's very important for us to grasp before we get into the specifics. And this is something that really burns in me a little bit. So if I get a little feisty on it, just think of me playing with matches and the gas can burning our bees, right? I, I like to live dangerously a little bit. Love is something that has far more depth than what we have made it, unfortunately, today. In our language, in, in English language, the way we talk, we use one word, love, that has meaning by the context we use it in. In other words, I can say, I love ice cream and I love my wife. But we know they don't mean the same thing. They better not, right? Um, they don't mean the same thing. We understand the word love by the use of its context. Now, the culture in which the church was born in particular were a little more sophisticated in that, in that their language they use different words to mean the different aspects of love. And I think there is an important lesson to be had there because I think there's a reminder of the fact that love is far greater than what we've made it today. See, in that culture, there were different words for love. There was eros, which is what we would know as sexual romantic love. There was philea, which was we would call friendship love. There is storge, we would say that's the love in the family. And then there is the Christian word for love, one that, that becomes the most prominent in our scriptures. It's agape, Jesus' love, Christ's love, God's love. And agape is the unselfish concern for the welfare of others. Some call it intelligent goodwill. It's the commitment to do what's best for the loved one 
regardless of cost to self. Now, the reason I'm saying this is because the conversation about love today, I believe, is being hijacked by one view of love. The machinery of our culture pushes sex or romantic love as the pinnacle of satisfaction when it comes to human happiness. There is the belief that the most exciting, the most satisfying love relationship has to always involve romance and sex. But that's not what the Bible says. That's not what God's Word reveals. And to be honest, that's not what experience tells us. My father is now gone three years. My mom misses him. As a married woman, she says, you know, it's not the sex that I miss most. It's the friendship, the companionship. Things that are far deeper that run into eternity. That's what I miss. Romantic sexual love is only a small part of the bandwidth when it comes to love. The perfect son of God, let's think about this. The perfect son of God, Jesus, God in the flesh, Jesus did not engage in romantic sexual love. Think about that. Which tells me then that romantic sexual love obviously is not necessarily needed in our life to experience God's blessing and fulfillment and have what God wants for us in its fullness. Jesus said the highest commandment was to love God and love people, agape love. Life commitment to do what's best for the loved one, even if it means dying. And Jesus demonstrated that for us. See, I'm saying this because we have to recognize that we have made eros love, romantic sexual love, as an idol. And we've made it the be-all and end-all of our happiness and fulfillment. If I don't have a love relationship, a romantic relationship, if I don't have that significant other person which then becomes sexualized, then I'm missing something in life. I'm miserable. I'm blah, 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 blah. And that's not true. You're buying into a lie. And the sad thing is, is that I believe because we've bought into this lie, we ruin and miss out on so much that God has given to us when it comes to relationship, when it comes to love. Love within family sexualized turns into the horror of incest and molestation, doesn't it? Deep friendship love Friendship between two men or two women, deep friendship love, which, which is so special, gets tarnished and turned to a place that it's not meant to be when we sexualize it. How is it that we just can't celebrate being best friends with someone of the same sex and, and not worry about what it means and sexualize it? Well, it's because we bought into this lie that Ultimate intimacy and fulfillment has to always involve romance and sex. God has made us to love and be loved with more than romantic sexual love. 
So let's get to the specifics here. Can we agree as we look into God's word that sex is God's creation and therefore it is his prerogative to give instruction to us about how we go about it? So if I'm a God follower and I hear these principles and I look in God's word, the number one thing we're told in the beginning is that God is creator. As creator, this is his creation. As his creation, it's his prerogative to give us directions on how to live within his creation. That's how it is, right? And so if we agree about that, then we have to understand that that also involves our sex life. Where does God's word tell us is the best place for romantic sexual love? Because the Bible says sex is good and very good when it's in the place that God intended. When we go back to the beginning, right? Creation, God makes man and he places him in the garden. The garden being the training ground for man's God-given work. What's man's God-given work? Well, at that time, he says to Adam, hey, your job is to multiply and subdue the earth. Your job is to learn to take care of the earth as you're learning to take care of the garden, to manage it, to see it rise to its fullest potential, to be creative and to make things that are way beyond anybody's imagination, to be able to express yourself in work in the, in the taking care of creation to the glory, to the honor of the creator. And how that mandate works is kind of explained fully for us in chapter 2 of Genesis. We get that mandate given to us in chapter 1, but in chapter 2, we get a little more detail as to how that's going to work. Verse 18, chapter 2, it says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I'm going to stop right there. A lot of times people say, well, that's just a, a signal that it's not good for, for, for people to be lonely, and they take that to mean have not a romantic relationship in their life. That's not what it's saying. It means it's not good for the man to be alone in what? In the pursuit of what Adam, the man at the time, was given by God to do in life. He says, I will make a suitable helper for him. Helper in what? In the God-given mandate to populate the earth and to work the earth and tend creation as you learn in the garden, you now take it out to the earth. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. He's training them to, to manage the world to the glory of God. And whatever the man called each living creature, it was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Helper found in what? In this process of pursuing the calling God had placed in his life. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while they, he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord, gave, Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. When I do weddings on this, I read that, and I say, You know, guys, you know what basically Adam's saying? He's going... Yeah, baby. No, okay. Um, little levity there. Sorry. Okay. That is why a man, and here it is. Here's the logic for what we would call marriage. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. That one flesh piece is the reference to sex in the context of marriage between a man and a woman. 
Adam and his wife were both naked, it says, and they felt no shame. In this place, they were both without shame, for they were fulfilling that God had called them to do, a partnership in pursuing what God had given them to do, to fill the world, to populate the world, to manage the world. See, the purpose of sex is the bonding of a husband and a wife in the pursuit of God's calling to do the work of God as expressed in family by populating the earth. It's not the only calling that we might receive from God as we have just talked about with Jesus. And if you want to get into it more, read Paul's logic in 1 Corinthians 7 where he talks about the fact that we may not be called to be married in this season, he says. And that's okay. We're not lacking if we're not married. Because if we love God and we love people, God will provide the riches we need. Our calling is to be obedient to Him, and in that, He will provide that which our heart needs in the pursuit of that calling He places in our life. What God has set up then is that sex is best when practiced between a husband and a wife who are bound together by a lifelong commitment to honor the life calling of family that God has given them. That's why it makes sense when Malachi the prophet says to, to the people of Israel, the people of Jew, the Jews, he says, hey, you, your divorcing is offensive to God because you are undermining God's purpose of marriage and that is to bring godly offspring into the world. It is a partnership that God has brought together for the function of bringing individuals who are pursuing God in life that is our children. And that doesn't end when our kids are 18, right? Those of you that have kids that have left the house that are 18, no, you still have a lot of work to do in pursuing that end, in supporting them and helping them. And then when they get married and have children, then that role changes a bit and that pursuit continues. And God has placed a husband and a wife being bound together in one flesh through sexual activity in order to bring them together in that pursuit. That is the place God has placed sex. And so we have this viewpoint that then gets translated to the church, to us, to Jesus' followers. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. He says, marriage should be honored by all. The word honored here is valued. Valued. Whether you're married or not in the church, all of us committed to Christ should have the same view of marriage. It should be honored. And this is the way we honored. The marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Word adultery refers to a married person who engages in sexual activity outside the marriage covenant with their spouse. Sexual activity. The word translated sexually immoral refers to sex of individuals who are not married. It's the word porneia, which we can figure out where our English word is found. It's the word porneia, which is an umbrella term that refers to sex in any form outside the place where God intended in marriage between a man and a woman. And take note, this is a call for members of the church. This is a call for children in the family of God, those who are Jesus' followers. And it stands right in line with what God has always asked His people, that if you are going to love me with all your heart, your mind, and your soul, and if you're going to pursue the love of your neighbor as you love yourself, it will result in living differently. And in living differently, it means you will live differently than the world when it comes to your sex life. From the first book to the last book of our Bible, God's people, whether it be Israel or the church of Jesus Christ, they've been called to live differently than the rest of the world. 
And so the challenge we have to say is if we read Scripture and open up to the Scripture, can we agree that if we are God's people, we're called to live differently, which includes sex? You read through the law of Moses, and you see that the instruction given to the people of Israel, hey, you're my people, and you're going to live in a, in a land I'm going to establish, and this is how you're to live, and guess what? You get plenty of instructions regarding sexual activity. Just read it. Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Then in the New Testament, as Jesus follows, people who are now made right with God, the new Israel, the church, we get instruction similar to what we've just read already, but here's another one. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Follow God's example, Jesus' followers, therefore as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The highest calling you have is to love, he says. Agape love. The love that is of God's kind. But then he says, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Pornea. There's that general term that says sex outside the place that God intended. Or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people, and you can read further at your leisure regarding that, how to live for God. But this is where we struggle, right? This is the point that we wrestle. And it's been this way since the beginning. See, in the Garden of Eden, what do we find? We find Adam and Eve, and they have access to every fruit but one. Now, just think about that. We read about that, and we read the story, and it says, oh, they're not allowed to eat this fruit. But you forget that they were allowed to eat everything else. No to the one, yes to the hundreds of thousands. No to, to the one flavor, yes to every flavor you can think of and every kind of delight you can have. But, of course, they want the one they're not supposed to have. Why? Because of the lie. And this is the lie. It's spoken by the words of the enemy, Satan. The lie is this. God really doesn't have your best interests at heart. You better trust yourself in pursuing that end. Don't trust God. And him saying no to the one is really denying you everything. Right? See, Adam and Eve didn't trust God, had their best interests at heart, so they ate what they were not supposed to eat instead of enjoying everything that they were given. And when they did that, what happened? It ruined everything. And we are where we are now. And God sends us a Savior. And that Savior restores us to that place where we can know God and God can know us, yet we still struggle with that same issue, don't we? And for many of us, that issue, that tree, that one tree, is sex. The belief that love, in its highest form, involves romance and sexual activity in whatever form I choose and get it, and compromise in it. The idea that uh, God's holding out on me in, in, in terms of fulfillment because I, I'm not able to have this relationship in this way, and it ruins everything. See, when you turn 
that concept that romantic sexual love is the be-all and end-all of your heart's fulfillment, you turn that into the main thing. What you're doing is you're robbing yourself of so much more. You're robbing yourself of so much more. You're choosing the one that's going to ruin the much that God has for you. See, at the start of the service, what do we do? We come in full circle. Let's just walk through this now together. Well, at the start of the service, we all, with smiles on our face and tears in our eyes and hands in the air and heart warmed, we all sang about God's love for us. And we're all excited, no matter wherever we stand on these issues, we're all committed to the fact that God loves us and we celebrate for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We all agreed on that. We all affirm that. We all say God has our best interests at heart and God sent his son and demonstrated that to us and I'm so glad he did. I'm so glad he did. But understand that if we celebrate God who had our best interests at heart in our salvation, making us his children, is the same God who says, keep the marriage bed pure. Keep the marriage bed pure. And somehow, we've got to trust them just as equally, even though it's hard. Trust that if we love God first, everything we have, with everything we have, if we love God first and we seek to give ourselves to love our neighbor as ourselves, then every other aspect of love will be in its right and best place. Our love of our friends, the love we experience in our family, romantic, sexual love, everything will find the potential to be its best when we put first things first. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. See, when it comes to love and life, God has given us so much and he's asking us to trust him by letting go of our grip on having that one thing that we think is being denied us, that point of, of, of conflict, that one tree of knowledge of good and evil, whatever that may be. And for many of us, it may be this issue of God's place and plan for sex. And the appeal is, is if a God has your best interests at heart and you've given your eternal life, salvation, your eternal destiny to him because of that love, then you can also give him this question of romantic sexual love to him as well, right? I'm going to ask that we stand. We're going to close in prayer couple of guys have come forward and they're going to be available to pray with you in person if you'd like. I also point out that I recognize that this issue may be a big struggle, as I said before. If you would like to further the conversation with that, I know it's kind of a private, personal thing. Feel free to write a note. In the back of the church, there is a, a box that says, let us know your questions. You can just put a note Put your contact information and someone from staff, we can connect you with, with appropriate ways, but we can continue to have this conversation with you. I'm going to pray. These guys are available to pray with you in per person. If you want to share with them the fact that you're making a commitment to be a Jesus follower because of God's love, that's, that's great as well. But they're here to pray with you in person after service. But let's pray together now to dismiss. Thank you, Lord, that you are a God who wants what's best for us. 
we celebrate that truth over and over again. And every time we gather together and we talk about God's grace and God's love. Thank you that we can know that the Bible was written to a people, to people very much in the same boat as we are when it comes to dealing with these issues. Thank you that love is more richer and deeper than what we've made it in our culture. And help us to really appreciate that and to be the best in those areas of our lives because we are right with you living differently. Thank you that you've called us to live differently. And thank you for your instruction that we might struggle with it, the instruction regarding the best place for romantic sexual love, the best place for it to operate is within the bounds of a marriage relationship. Adam and Eve, man and woman, pursuing in one ship as they're bound together as one, the, the calling you've placed on their life, calling to, to produce godly offspring, calling to be a team who are seeking the purposes you've given to them. But thank you that we can also recognize that being married is not the be-all and end-all. It's a gift, but we have fulfillment as demonstrated by Paul and by Jesus the Savior that ultimately that the ultimate gift is to be your child, loved by you, to love you, and to pursue the calling you place in our life, whether we're married or not. And that sexual romantic love isn't the be-all and end-all of our fulfillment. You are, God. You are. Pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can interact with us online at our website, www.mtcarmelchurch.org. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.